It's Thursday night and 8 p.m. in the Eastern Time Zone. You're tuned in to the Profits Plus e-retailer conversations conference call. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Glad to have you join us on this Thursday evening. It's June 28, 2012. Glad you could uh, break away from work to come and be with us tonight. I'm really excited. I've waited a long time for tonight to get here and uh, just spent a few minutes walking around outside trying to burn off the nervous uh, energy that I had going. Let's take care of uh, business first for the June 28th conference call. Tonight's session is being recorded. It will be loaded on somewhere during the late hours of the night by Bruce Giroux. That is our uh, info super stud. He will have it on the Profits Plus website. It will be available to you in two formats. You can pick it up as an MP3 player or MP3 file for those of you who are using iPods or something similar. And it also will be available as click and listen link on the on the website. Uh, just visit the website on the left side. You'll see an e-retailer link. You can catch tonight. You can catch last month's where we had uh, Ann Obarski with us, any of the previous ones over the last uh, years. So that we have such a jam-packed uh, event for tonight, let me ask those of you who are dialing in from home or work, if you would please, hit the star six button on your phone, star six, so that you would mute your line. We'll uh, try to hold the questions to a little bit later in the uh, conversation and ask our, uh, our guest to take some time to answer questions that may come. Star six is going to mute it. So that, um, we will not be able to hear you during the first part of the call. And likewise, if the puppy dog, the cat, or the cash register hopefully is ringing as you're calling us for business, you will uh, not be playing the sound over everybody else. So as it's uh, time to start the uh, event, I'm sitting here all by myself. I need to get some help to make tonight go. Let me make a quick phone call here. Got to call my buddy Bill, see if he's available to join us tonight. Hopefully he can be there. He's probably out playing in the yard, but he'll get here. Hello. It's a great day. Is it really? Hello, it is Bill well. Kinsey. This? This, this oh, is easy. Okay. Is this hey, everybody. Way? This is my special guest, my bud. And Bill is, where are you tonight? What part of the world? Oh, I'm in the booming metropolis of Lansing, Michigan, where it's 94 degrees, believe it or not. How hot is it down there in the sunny south? Well, it's funny you would mention sunny. That hasn't been exactly our adjective of late, but it is still the south. It is the subtropics. Um, it's probably about 95 out there right now. We had no rain today. Kind of a typical humid day with the state bird, the uh, mosquito, flying and having a great time carrying off small children, cats, dogs, and other uh, unassuming creatures. Kind of grown big down here, right? Oh, gosh. I mean, the last, um, once the, that storm, uh, Debbie showed up last, uh, was it Friday or so? There are water puddles all over everywhere, 
that, uh, I mean, they're just breeding like crazy. Of course, our, our big one is uh, our neighborhood made the news uh, tonight. We have a, a neighbor across the street who has a swimming pool, and he had a, uh, uh, a special guest uh, visiting in his swimming pool. Uh, let's just yeah. say that, uh, well, the uh, University of Florida may be missing one of their mascots at this point. Oh, so you're, you're, you're with one of them swamp people down there, eh? Well, there were two of them, and, and these guys were fascinating. They, um, it's not a full-time job for them. It's, it's their hobby, and the law in Florida says that uh, if you have a, a nuisance gator, and if he's basically, if the alligator is in your yard, he's a nuisance. He, if he doesn't wander off and go back into the sewer system or into a lake, uh, you have to request of the state special permission, get a permit for uh, these people, whoever they select, come to your place and pull him out and then from the day you call they have 45 days to find him and get him out or they can keep coming back as much as they want for 45 days and take all of them they can but uh, uh, our neighborhood has one less alligator he was nine and a half feet long he uh, about two they said between 250 300 pounds uh, did look a little mean when he stood up on all fours and he uh I, I don't think the the noises he was making were uh, of the type that it's like, "Hi, I like you." Uh, you know, maybe somebody got the basis, maybe got the basis for a new reality series there. Yeah, swamp lizard hunters in Florida swimming pools. He. Uh, I was thinking more like suburban hunters or something like that. You know, uh, they care like got, terrorizing chipmunks and things. They worked up a sweat. They they really had sweat going, and and the, it was just weird watching them that they uh, uh, got a line on him and and used basically a, a a stainless steel fishing line, and at some point get him to kind of move his nose in it, and they just reel that sucker tied around his nose and hold it. And the other one is either brave enough or trusting enough that he walks up with a, a roll of electrical tape and wraps it around his mouth, and they let him fight a while and. Um, then they just drag him around, put him in a trailer, and it's bye-bye alligator. I guess that's, uh, that's the St. Petersburg way, right? Uh, that is the uh, Florida law as to uh, to what you do with, uh, with these critters. So I hear this week, uh, it's, you and I have been a while since we've seen each other face-to-face, -face, correct? That is true. And I understand that I we're going to uh, see each other again coming up soon, right? That's very correct. We will. Uh, you, you are headlining. I am being the secondary person, and uh, we we will be at the shot show together in uh, in January in Las Vegas. So, you know, well, let me ask you a question. What's that? Um, you you go by Bill Kendi, and uh, if I remember correctly, the uh, your your first name really is William. That is correct. But the only people that call me William is my mother when she's aggravated at me or someone who wants to give me, have me give them money. So, yes, I go by Bill. But why do you uh, ask that? Uh, well, I was thinking that uh, when you were a little kid in the neighborhood, did they, did they call you Billy? Yes, they did, actually. And uh, I, I will tell you a quick story about that. Uh, my father's name was also William, and he was about 150 pounds soaking wet, 
And I was a substantially bigger young lad than that. Um, but they would always call my father, so I was, you know, fairly substantially larger than that. But they would always call my father Big Billy and me Little Billy. So, oh. yes. Well, my father and I have you the same thing. It. We, my father and I both have the, the same name. We were both oh, Frank Thomas. Right. I was the second, he was the first. And uh, he went by the so Frank, you, I went by, by the middle name. Were you the Tommy? Um, let's see. My mother could call me Tommy on occasionally. Uh, a couple of people at school called me Tommy. And my aunt, until she passed away in November, uh, she, she still called me Tommy forever and ever, and uh, there's a, a close friend of mine from uh, junior high school, high school days. Uh, she still, she still calls me Tommy. So, well, but the reason I asked you that was I was thinking about our, our special guest tonight. Uh, one of the things I'm, that I, when we get him on, I'm going to want to ask him is, you know, why his name is spelled differently than most people spell the name, and whether or not his first name which is John, uh, is short for something else, or if it's just, you know, did mom dad come up with this unique spelling of the way hmm. he spells it? His is just J-O-N instead of J-O-H-N. J-O-H-N, yeah. Interesting. But my, my thought was that, uh, you know, as we uh, came to the current format of the Taylor Conversation Conference call, as we were discussing it in our, in our many visits, you made a comment about, well, I like to come along and be my sidekick and have a good time, whether we're in person, whether we're talking on the phone several times a month. And you said, well, I'm kind of like the head man of the show. Was, is that the essence of the conversation? Mm-hmm. Okay. So my thought was with tonight's guest that we have calling on, it would be more appropriate for you to do the introduction than for me to do the introduction. With, right? I think that would be exciting. All right. Well, then let's you do it. Here we go. We're not from Burbank. Live from St. Petersburg, Florida, Lansing, Michigan. Go for it, Bill. Here's Johnny. Ah, yes. Our special guest tonight is someone I have wanted for a long time to get to come on the show. It, uh, uh, I've had a number of people who have uh, politely turned me down to, uh, to come and be on the show, uh, but this friend of mine was there right off the bat and says, sure, when would you like me to be there? Would glad to participate. Uh, well, and I guess I better ask him whether or not he's, he's going to let me get by with calling him friend. My friend, our special guest, John Schallert. Oh, we're friends, Tom. We are? We are. We are. So, glad. Good. thanks for having me on, Tom. John, you know, I really appreciate that you would, would come and be with me. I have uh, always enjoyed getting to listen to you somewhere in a, a presentation. Uh, let's see, where did, where did we last see each other? We were in Edmonton. We were in Edmonton. Uh, and I'm thinking it wasn't 95 when we were there that day, was it? No, it was no, it was it was cold. It was winter. cold. And... It was yeah, nasty cold. Okay, and uh, my friend John lives in Colorado. 
uh, which is, let's see. Now, if I remember right, John, your family came originally from Wisconsin? That's right, Tom. Okay, and, and where all did you move? Where, where was all the transition points? So, yeah, so I was born in Wisconsin. We moved to Colorado. I grew up here. Then when I w joined Hallmark Cards, they transferred me to West Virginia and Ohio and then down to Mount Dora, Mount Florida, Dora, Florida. Um, east of you, and then we eventually made our way back here. So you are trading in the last week being here in Florida and enduring our uh, 10 to 20 inches of rain that we had, and you're out there smelling the uh, smoke? Yeah, we're actually where there's no fire. We're kind of in the middle of the fire area, so uh, yeah, we're protected, but everyone else uh, is smelling smoke a lot more than us. So you want to come back to Florida? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think no. he just wants you to send your rain up to Colorado. Is what he wants. Yeah, wanted. that would be that would be good. Thanks, Bill. That's exactly what we need. Yeah, I was going to say. Okay, so now, John, I, I know some of the story, but uh, you and I share a, a similarity that uh, retailing is is, our, is in our family. Uh, it's been there for a long, long time. Tell tell everybody your story of retailing when your family's history. So my grandfather, so my grandfather Tom, Tom, had a store in uh, Johnson Creek, Wisconsin. It was a little general store, the Johnson Brothers family store. And what was uh, interesting about it is he did really well. He had everything in that store. He had meat, he had clothing, he had kerosene lamps, I mean, fertilizer, anything you needed to buy in Johnson Creek, Wisconsin, you could buy. And that worked and that really, worked well, really until well until the uh, car came and car was invented, because this was over 100 years ago, when uh, uh, the trains started coming to town and everybody started leaving to get their shopping done at larger establishments. Then he actually had to move to a smaller town to survive. So even at that point in time, uh, adaptation was uh, a necessary ingredient. But it was all location-dependent. He had to totally relocate the store. That was his only solution, which a lot of owners, uh, you know, they don't have to go to that drastic of a step these days to really make it. So, yeah, I mean, he didn't just move it, like, across the street or down the street. No, he moved it to a whole different town, a little Sullivan, Wisconsin, he moved to. And uh, when, when did you first start working in retailing? Well, really when, really when I was with uh, Hallmark Cards, so that was in the late 80s when I got hired by them. Uh, so we would be safe to say that um, retailing is just in your blood and you can't, uh, can't get it out type of thing? You know, I just like working with people who are adventurous and entrepreneurs and who uh, like taking risks, and I think, that's, I think that's what happens with the business owners I work with. Well, that's true. They are risk takers. They are... Uh, all gamblers in one form or another. I, I think of those that I see when we when we're at a show like in Las Vegas, and uh, those that do not bother to play the tables. Uh, and the comment I get is, "Why would I gamble at the tables? I gamble just by getting up and opening the store every day." <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so my buddy John, uh, I don't know where it was that we first met. Um, it's an interesting trade that John and I work in, and Bill's a part of it, and there's several other folks that we know that uh, when we have gotten together and we mention people, whether I've been with Bill or, or John and talk about some of the other people who are speakers and who, who are teachers, that we don't necessarily all know who each other are. We kind of run in 
I guess, different circles. And uh, somewhere along the line, uh, the circle uh, put the three of us together. And uh, I remember several years ago, you uh, and I were speaking on the phone, and I made mention that I was coming out to your neck, neck of the woods. It was the uh, Westminster. Yep. When I, when I came out to your neck of the woods, out to Westminster. Yeah, and you wore those crazy red boots. Yeah. Still do. Still do. I haven't gotten either lately, but... And looking at the alligator, I was kind of wondering, you know, how do they get that green-colored alligator to become red? But, a side point. So we got together, and uh, we sat down in the lobby of the hotel, and you pulled out a little pocket recorder, and we talked for a long, long time. Why were we doing that? Well, what, what I try to do, Tom, is I, I know I'm not going to know everything I need to know for my clients. So you were, I've heard you speak before. We spoke at conferences together, and I knew you had great advice. So one of the things that we do is I digitize uh, interviews with other authors and business experts, and then we upload it to a website called Destination University. And it's a business owner website where they can go and access uh, advice, search by different topic areas. But we've got over 40 authors and experts in there, and you're one of them. Well, okay, so one slips through every once in a while, right? Right. I mean, once they're in, we don't kick them out. So that you know, that's why you haven't been called. Oh. Yeah, your grandfather's in, Thomas. Yeah, you're there for life, buddy. Whether you like it or okay. not. Okay. <laughs> so, looking at it, I mean, I'm intrigued, John. I've always been intrigued because I, I enjoy listening to you. I like the information that you that you have. Uh, and uh, the, the key, a couple of things, because uh, you had sent me some extra information, stuff that I wouldn't normally see, the promotional type material that you, uh, you send to people. And uh, quite a few of your topics that you like to address with people uh, deal with aspects of... Um, Customer traffic, uh, a reinvention, and this this key word, destination, uh, of which I, I must say, out in the world of, of retailing, uh, from the places I go, if I hear the word destination, I, I kind of think in the same sentence, I better hear the word of the two words, John Shallard. Uh, I, I think they belong to you. Destination is 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 you. So what I and Bill would like to do this evening is like, I don't know, maybe start out with where, where did this idea come from? I mean, you, you, where, did, where did you come up with this idea of why or how a business can be a destination? Where, tell me about the, the history, the experience of creating it. So, Tom, when I, when I started with Hallmark Cards, Hallmark was one of the first companies that said, you know what, we want to try to create a business model that allows that business owner to be able to pull consumers from outside their immediate marketplace. Because most location, most businesses are location dependent. So the challenge for Hallmark Cards was how you took their top stores, which were gold crown stores, and how you make them so that literally they can pull consumer, consumers from uh, anyway, anywhere. And so I worked on a project with Hallmark Cards where I was a part of a team of four people that got to work on what they called the reinvention of the card shop. And after, and after working with Hallmark, with Hallmark and, and being with them for 10 years and rolling this out to 5,200 stores, we decided that, uh, uh, I decided, you know, I can go out on my own and teach this stuff. 
And so that's originally where it started. I thought I had a great uh, foundation from Hallmark, but no sooner than I got out in the world that I realized uh, with my own company that I only knew a small piece of it. Okay, so if I understand it correctly, what you're saying is that if I owned a, a store to expand it past Hallmark, if I were a store, any kind of store, and I were a store in a, a Main Street area, a Main Street district, uh, just a, any other downtown, large or small, if I'm a store in a shopping center or I'm a store in a mall, uh, compared to a person simply walking through the mall way or down the shopping center and just, oh, there's a store, let's go in, your concept is about having it where that store is the reason why I came to the shopping center to begin with. Exactly. In, in, in my mind, it's kind of black and white. There are only two types of stores. They're either destinations or they're ones that have to feed off their environment in some ways, more, more parasitic stores. So a destination business can be any business that draws consumers to it, and it can be a, uh, a retail store, it can be a restaurant, it can be a service business, it can even be an accounting practice or a doctor's office or a chiropractor, a professional practice. But if you're after consumers, we know that there's certain key things a business can do to not only draw consumers to them from a greater distance, but bond local consumers to them. So that's these techniques I, I teach, this destination strategy I teach. So when each of us, and we've all had experience somewhere, where we are telling somebody about, here's a business, and otherwise you might not ever find it, but you know it's this really neat business, and people go really a long way out of their normal routine to go to it. It's a really great place, or it's a great restaurant, and it's kind of hidden way here, but people know about it. Uh, these are the kind of businesses that you have helped to create this type of situation. Right. And even if you're not a business that's like a restaurant that someone's going to go 50 miles out of their way, you can even use these principles if you're, for example, like uh, dry cleaners, where no one's ever going to bring their dry cleaning to you from hundreds of miles away. You can still use these techniques to, to make your business one of a kind in its marketplace. Basically, I teach a business differentiation process that when you do certain do things, certain you're going things, to you're magnify going to your differences so much, so much that a consumer says, I have to go to that place. I'm not going to buy it online. I'm not going to buy it from the superstore. I'm not going to buy it over here. That might even be more convenient. I have to go to this place. And, and that's how you start manipulating consumer uh, experiences and get them to go out of their typical buying patterns. So now, for example, I'm in Michigan here. I guess if I'm listening, I'm hearing you correctly. Size is not really an issue when it comes to becoming a store of destination. For That's example, correct. in Michigan, there is a, a store called Bronner's in Frankenmuth, Michigan, which is um, known all over the country because it's Christmas every day. I mean, yeah, that's a great example of one. Uh, it is in, a Christmas store. They're probably 90 miles out of the greater metro Detroit area. They're about 90 miles. I live in Lansing, middle of the state. People take people get buses up from Ohio and Indiana and Illinois. They all come over here to go to Bronner's. And of course, Frankenmuth is a town that they kind of built it in tandem. But that would be an extreme because that's a that's a big operation, John. You could have Bill's uh, like you said, Bill, Bill's uh, dry cleaners or tennis shop or something. It doesn't necessarily have to be a multi-billion-dollar operation, right? Right. For example, you've got one near you that's a destination restaurant called Schuler's in Marshall, Michigan. 
sure. Well, yeah, except they used to be a bigger destination store, but yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and for example, drive. those guys, they, they the actually get way. people who travel from, who will come and make reservations from Japan and Arizona when they're traveling back after a winter to eat at Schuler's Restaurant. Uh, I'm thinking about one in Michigan I go to, which is the Casa Checks. Correct. That's true, Tom. Oh, Tommy. Sorry, I forgot. (laughs) Yeah, I know, John, if you've ever seen that one, but if if you ever have occasion to go to East Lansing, Michigan, there is downtown a men's clothing store called Casa Checks. That is one awesome store. I I save my dollars for trips to go to Casa Checks. So, John, let me ask this one. If and if a, if we have a business like the ones you give an example of, and they become a destination that people want to go out of their way to, or like make make a special trip to want to get to the place, is there a component of your destination technique, your your method that you're sharing with people that helps a store to reach out to these people and say? Come on. I mean, not, you're not waiting for them to have the thought process, I want to go there. You're, you're teaching stores ways to keep putting that pull out there that says, come on, come back. Yeah, Tom, I mean, that's a good question. There are actually two steps to the process. So you've got, you've got a, a, a number of stages in the process of being a, a destination that you have to make yourself different, and you have to magnify certain parts of your differences that consumers are going to respond to. So some of it is a strategic change that businesses either have to make themselves more different or have to make themselves uh, make their story better where their differences really do come out. So some of it's a strategic change that is very hard for a competitor to copy. And then the other part of it is actually the getting the part out, which are tactical steps like promotions and emailing and and social networking and getting free publicity and all the different uh, advertising and marketing tactics that one can use. So it's actually a two two stage process a business has to go through. But the beginning part starts with magnifying their their differences. So really, what you're doing is and this is a real simplification, but really what you're doing is we know there's certain hot buttons that both consumers and the media respond to. And if you get media attention, you can get publicity, which is 12 times more powerful than advertising, which can last longer and transcend greater distances than most advertising. So you you try to do these certain things that are going to get consumers and the media to say, I want to pay attention to this place, and I, I've got to see this place. This sounds interesting. So once you do those things, once you change those things and make a business you know, display their differences correctly or create their differences correctly, then you can go about actually marketing and you show them, you know, how you create this integrated marketing process. And as I read the material that I get from you, I I see quite a bit of of information that you send out to people. For example, I remember today, uh, I would invite you to share some of it with our, our group tonight. You had quite a bit of information today when someone was asking, uh, I believe one of your participants said they had heard Facebook was dying, and what what was it that was going to replace it? And what caused me to read the whole thing that you had to say was, instead of just giving a yes it is or no it's not, I mean, you had uh, some really awesome information that was saying, with the different types of ways of getting your messages out, this is who each of them uh, are 
trying to draw. Therefore, if you look and see what your what person is that you're wanting to pull towards you, this is as I read your information. This is the person uh, who wants Facebook, Foursquare, whatever it is. Find your person, concentrate your efforts very much so in this area. Uh, expand, please, sir. Yeah, so that was actually a question that came into Destination University. So that was actually a, uh, a business owner who runs a not-for-profit horse clinic up in, up in Oregon, in the rural county of Oregon. And, and we've got literally business owners around the world in Destination University, and they can post questions anytime. And what it does is it shoots a blast out to everybody in the network and says, somebody's got a question, got a question. Um, um, do you have a solution for this person? So I just happened to be home, and I saw it come in, so I, was, I ended up being the first one to respond. But there are other times that we'll have you know, authors and experts, even you. Well, I've seen you respond before to these questions, Tom, where you'll see the, a question and you'll know a good way to respond to it. So this person asked, you know, um, if they saw or thought Facebook's dying and what's the next social network they should be going to. So, you know, I touch base on, you know, Facebook really isn't dying. It's 900 million people right now. It's growing more slowly. Its stock is crashing, but that's not affecting its actual ability to be a tool for business owners. You know, we, we talked about if you really want to do if you really want to go after you know, business contacts and you really want to go after business uh, targets, that might be, for example, maybe a larger sale for a, for a business. Or if you're a restaurant and you want to sell corporate catering, you know, uh, the tool you would probably use is not Facebook. You'd probably use LinkedIn because it's a lot uh, more tapped into those business contacts. Um, we talked about if you're trying to find 21 to 35-year-olds, you know, the Foursquare is a great tool to be able to, social networking tool to be able to use. And the one that's really growing right now at the fastest rate, which people are, uh, you know, paying more attention to and it's getting greater funding because of it is, is Pinterest, this whole Pinterest craze that's happening now because it's literally growing at 50% um, um, rate per rate month, per each, month each, and every month. And every so, month. so if you've got products that are visual and you've got products that are related to the home or food or travel or a whole variety of visual type of uh, categories that you can post pictures or recipes or things like this. Um, Pinterest is going to be good because I think it's going to become its own e-commerce site where it's not that much different than like an eBay or Amazon. So um, uh, I went through those different steps, and, and then I think tonight there have actually been some other people who have responded to the question and posted their comments. So it's, it's this online network of people who share these different ideas. I just happen to be the first one today. Okay. Our uh, our guest tonight, um, in addition to Bill Kendi, our special guest with us tonight is John Schaller. John Schaller lives in Colorado. I've known John for a number of years, and John owns the word destination. Everything about it uh, as a business, and we'll, we're going to talk more in the second half of the show about how to differentiate your business, how to make it a destination. And uh, as we take our break here at the bottom of the hour, John, I uh, did a little research and uh Found a found an appropriate commercial that I thought uh, for a commercial break. This this one would be appropriate for uh, for you. Oh, I've got to hear it. Excuse me, I'm interested in the new collector's ornament from Hallmark. Ah, oh, the shuttlecraft Galileo from the Starship Enterprise. Precisely. You know, it lights up when you plug it in. And listen. Shuttlecraft to Enterprise. Spock here. Happy holidays. Live long and prosper. 
fascinating. For a store in your sector now carrying the Star Trek ornament, call 1-800-HALLMARK. Live long and prosper, right? No. I'll take five. Is that you, my friend? <laughs> well, that wasn't me, but yes, that was a Hallmark ornament that we sold a boatload of them, and they didn't actually didn't sell very well. We had a lot of those left. Captain, she's on warp oh. speed seven. She can't go no faster. You right. had thing I know about Star Trek that I can remember. Oh, well. uh, I, I do know that Scotty went up on that uh, spaceship last month. Well, the one that had the uh, took the supplies to the the uh, International Space Station. The uh, cremains of Scotty was on that to be. Uh, kick somewhere out into space. But you said the Star Treks did not sell well? Really? No, there were, no, there there were, were a lot, of those, a lot of those left. Now, Tom, here's an obscure fact. You might I don't even think I've told you. And this ties right to Star Trek too. There's one other Shallert that has much, is much more famous than I am, and it's a guy named William Shallert who actually was in a Star Trek episode called The Trouble with Tribbles. And I remember that show. Yeah, yeah, and if you were you, you'd probably remember him better because he was the father on the Patty Duke show. Oh my God! Yes, I mean I don't remember the name him having the last name of Shallard, but yes, I do remember he was the father on the Patty Duke show. Well, that was that was like a distant uncle on the other black sheep side of the family or something. Really? Oh, that's fascinating. Okay, well now speaking of fascinating, there's there's a story that I think really highlights something that you're able to do for people. Uh, and I think it's a situation that I know I see businesses struggling with it, that they really aren't able to identify what it is that makes them so substantially different. Uh, and the one I'm thinking about is the uh, the lady here in Florida who was uh, the seamstress. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tell, would you tell a story? Yeah. So, so that lady was actually on a... Uh that lady was actually in an East Coast small town on a, a ocean oceanfront small town, and actually the mayor of the city it was it came up to me before I was going to consult with fifteen business owners that day. It was when I was first starting my career, and the mayor of the city came to me and said, "You know what? I think it's a total waste of money. We're bringing you here. The business owners we have in this town are basically crap." And uh, and those were his exact words. And he said, um, you know, good luck with them. Uh, get out there. They're all average businesses at best. You're not going to find anybody exceptional. Um, but anything you can do to help them would be great. But just so you know, I voted against you um, uh, for you coming here. But since you're here, good luck. So that was my send-off for the day. So I uh, I walked into I walked into one business. And this lady had these all written on her front window. She had uh, 50% off all, all um, uh, with alterations, and she had, you know, two-for-one pants, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll seam your pants, you know, two for the price of one, all these different things. And I walk in, and there's this poor woman behind the register area with a couple of sewing machines, and she's got this huge, tremendous mound behind her. And I said to her that, hey, I'm here from the city, and she thinks I'm going to sell her advertising. And she said, oh, you know, I can't do no more. I can't do any ads. You know, I've been running these ads, and look how much business I've got. I can't keep up. And and uh, I said, no, no, I'm not here to sell you ads. You know, I'm, 
I'm kind of interested why you're doing this special where you've got obviously all this work and you're doing these two-for-ones. She's, oh, you know, I have to stay busy and I, I, I don't know any other way to bring people in but doing these. People don't want to spend money on this. She gave me all her excuses. And I said, well, just kind of step back because this is kind of interesting that she it was obvious she'd done this for a few many years. And I said, tell, tell me about your background. She said, oh, I've been a seamstress all my life. And I said, well, what, you know, where were you a seamstress? She said, oh, here and there. We traveled all over. And I said, well, that, that's kind of interesting. You, had a, you, you traveled as a seamstress? Oh, I was, we, we would go to all these different cities. And she, was, she wasn't really telling me exactly what it was. And finally I said, well, look, was it your company? Or were you working for another company? She said, I worked for a circus, she said. I used to, I worked, used to work for a circus. And I said, well, what? circus did you work for? And she said, well, I worked for the Barnum & Bailey Circus. I said, well, that's, that's the world's largest circus. That's pretty impressive. And she said, well, yeah, and I, and I wasn't just a seamstress for him. I was the head seamstress. We designed all their costumes. I, I had a whole team of other seamstresses underneath me, but I was the one that if like the like the, you know, the ringmaster you know raised his arm and it ripped you know I was the one that was there to sew it up to make sure that the show would go on I was the one that was would design all these costumes and she went into great detail on what she used to do for the circus and how she was used to be in charge of all this and I said have you told anybody that you did this kind of work and she said oh no I don't want to do that because that would be bragging and I said no that that would be marketing your differences there's there's a difference here and so we talked and and after a while she realized you know if i just started to magnify what really and tell the story better about what i really am how i really am different from every other seamstress in the world you know i probably don't have to discount as heavily as i would and i could actually generate more profits for my business and and maybe not have to work so much and maybe even have other people work for me so it was it was those kind of things where i mean i didn't make her different it was just a point of her difference that that she wasn't willing to tell the story about but it was a it, it was one of those moments where i realized wow there's a lot of times these business owners that i work with they really are one of a kind in fact if you dig deep enough every business owner is really business and their business owner who owns them are are one of a kind um, but you have to get that you have to get that out and you have to tell the story and figure out how you're going to stand out from all these larger competitors that sometimes have huge advantages so it's your part of your process is helping them to figure out what it is that makes them so unique, different that no one else can match what they are. Exactly. Uh, so exactly. Say, I'm on price. Right, because product and price, selection and price are never going to be components of your business that you can hold on to for very long. Selection. If you say I have the best selection, you're always going to get beat these days with the internet. The internet will always beat you with selection. So that's not a component or what we call a, I, I, what I call it is a component of your business that you can own or control. But there are certain aspects of the business that, like if you were a person who was going to get your suit altered, if you knew, hey, this person had so much experience that she used to be in charge of Barnum & Bailey's entire circus, well, I'm willing to pay a premium to get somebody who has that much experience to take care of my suit. So we actually so had our boot camp take boot people through 24 specific questions that when they answer these questions about themselves and about their business, they've got a pretty good statement and, a, and a, a way that they can say, this is what I am that no one else is, that no one else can really touch uh, when it comes to me being different. Now, so a couple of questions. I want to ask you about the boot camp. I'm, I'm fascinated about the idea of 
well, to some degree, uh, how, let's ask this. How many people come to your boot camp at, at a session? You know, we usually average 25 to 35, 35, but the most we can ever take is 48 because that's how big the room is. Okay. So you actually are able to take up to 48 business owners and get them to walk away from their business and come out to Colorado and and actually sit down and focus on being a business owner for three days. Yeah, actually, they fly in on a Monday, and we're together a little bit Monday night. They're here Tuesday all day, Wednesday all day, half day Thursday, and then they fly back. So they're really pretty much gone from their business for four days. Uh, do you do you have to make them to unplug their cell phones or put them away or something? Or well, what we do is they get we break every seventy five minutes. So the the ones who are kind of uh, uh, obsessed with keeping in touch, they will they they will call their cell phones a lot. But most really figure out after a while that even if they're gone for four days. The business is still going to be there when they come back, but we we have a we have an image that we that we use with owners, and we say most business owners run themselves like a hamster on the wheel, and we have an and image. Have an our image, boot camp, camp mascot, mascot is a hamster on top of the wheel, and it's our and trademark, it's our trademark image of the image boot camp the, that they've escaped the wheel. If you've learned a strategy that allows your business to not to run, not you. run you, so. So after a few days, a few they, days realize, they realize, you know, I've you know, been I've like that been hamster like in the wheel, and you know what, I'm not going to call in every 75 minutes to check on things, and I'm going to check in in the morning, and I might check at lunch, and I might check at the end of the day, and other than that, I'm just going to think about my business. But that is one thing that I've learned is that when you get people who are you know immensely passionate about changing their business, you put them all in the same room, and basically we capture them there. I mean... They come to Longmont, Colorado. We've got them in a Marriott hotel complex where we eat lunch together. We do evening exercises together. They're there at eight in the morning till sometimes six at night, and I stay with them till ten at night, talking to them individually. When they actually do this and focus just on a different way to 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 make their business stand out, people come out of there, you know, pretty energized and with a huge list of things they can go back and immediately implement. And as we said earlier, you have this divided into uh, there's 14 steps that they that you teach in your in your destination university, but you have your 14 points divided into uh, shall we say camps, two different camps, or yeah, so the four, so the 14 steps, the 14 stages or whatever um, are there's eight strategic steps and six tactical steps, and at our boot camp, at our destination boot camp, it takes me literally the full two and a half days to go through those 14 steps, and it's just like building a house. There's certain parts that you have to start with. It's like the foundation that you'd build on a house, and then you have to work through and go in certain order. So when business owners leave the boot camp and they're on their own or when they call in for advice and they'll say to me, Where, what should I do next? You always tell them. You start with the foundation and you work your way up. And not everybody does. Some people jump around and do different things at different times. Um, but but this strategy of these 14 steps is just like if you wanted to build the most hurricane-resistant house or the most fireproof house or, or you wanted to build the, the business that has the most chance of being profitable. That's the steps we take them through. So it, it really doesn't cause a business owner to come here and change what they're already doing. 
Uh, I, I think of it like, a, it's like an umbrella that they layer over their business that when a consumer looks at the business, they just see it a little differently. So you mentioned in building the house, uh, I was listening carefully to your examples, uh, and you said you were going to help them build a house that was hurricane-proof, and then you said fireproof, and I'm thinking, okay, the hurricane is me, the fireproof is you. What are we building for Bill? Well, Bill, Bill you would probably would build probably one that would, one that would be cold-proof. Cold. So you get cold up your way, Bill? Billy? Well, what I was saying was that if, if John was going to build a hurricane-proof house for me and a fireproof house for him in Colorado, what is he going to build for you in Michigan? And his answer was no one that was cold-proof. What the heck do you think you're going to build for me? Actually, I thought okay, a proof house that has heat. See <laughs> you there. Okay. So, John, within, uh, let me invite you uh, in the couple of minutes we take before we uh, invite people to jump in with questions. Tell me some, uh, as you will, uh, expand, as you will, into your strategy versus tactics. What, what comes first? Well, strategy always comes first. It's, it's just like um, if before you climb Mount Everest, you have to figure out what route you're going to take. And, and uh, in fact, I learned this. This is the best definition of strategy I ever got was from a guy who actually takes people up on expeditions up Everest. And what he said was, he said was you know, it's not, you know, it's not the, the boots or the oxygen or the tents or any of that stuff that's important. What's important what's is important the route, is the you, route take you take and choosing and the most choosing advantageous route from the start because there's actually 16 known ways you can climb Everest. So this is just an alternative route that most business owners never never learn. Um, you know, most business owners go to shows and they get taught that from the people that sell them products that they have to have the hot product or they have to have a larger selection of product. Or they go to a mall developer, and the mall developer says, this is going to be the newest mall, and this is going to be the place where the most people are. So that's a strategy they use to build a strong business. But what, what, what I'm teaching is, you know, what happens when the mall deteriorates, and what happens uh, when the uh, uh, traffic changes or demographics change, because a, because a destination business isn't location-dependent. You can pull consumers to you no matter where you are, no matter what your demographics around you. So the, uh, you start with these strategic points, and some of them are kind of hard to look at for owners, like you know, how, you, how you actually allocate your time and how you actually change your business before it really needs to be changed. Um, but one of the, you know, for most of the retailers who are on the call tonight, uh, a big part of of getting, uh, a consumer's getting a consumer's attention is step six is in our pyramid, which is called product spotlighting. How you get your product to stand out so that a consumer will say, you know, I have to go to that place. That's the only place for me. Um, so, do, Tom, do you want me to go into more detail on that? Absolutely. We'll, we'll listen to uh, everything that you want to share. Fantastic. All right. So let me All right, so give me, you an example. We had a restaurant. We had a restaurant. That we worked with. That we worked restaurants with. are by far the easiest destination. So this is a very uh, simple example that, that that worked really well. This is a restaurant in Lafayette, Indiana, called the Triple X Family Restaurant. And okay, yeah, it doesn't sound yeah, like a family like restaurant. Family the Triple X, X Family, family restaurant. restaurant. 
but it's actually based uh, around it was a triple X root beer stand. Triple X root beer is the oldest root beer in the United States. So this so this this uh, out of Galveston, uh, yeah, Texas, Texas, used to be owned by the Anheuser-Busch company. So this restaurant owner comes to our boot camp and is talking about you know how they get their product to stand out and they do some really neat things. They hand grind their sirloin and and they were telling me, well, everybody knows what the Triple X restaurant is. And I said, well, I think it sounds kind of like a pornography restaurant. And they said, oh, no, nobody thinks it's a dirty restaurant. Everybody knows what we are. And I said, no, maybe your local marketplace knows what you are, but there's always more people that don't know who you are. So how do we, how do we create something that essentially is like a slap upside the head of the consumer that gets their attention, where they, they remember? Because they were saying to me the things like, well, our, hand, our, our ground beef is fresher, it's higher quality, we give good service, all these generalities that consumers generally ignore. So we created what's called a signature item for their restaurant menu, and it's an item that is so extreme that it gets the attention of consumers and it gets the attention of media. So they created a, a hamburger that actually is entirely like a regular hamburger, except down to the bottom layer where they finally put a layer of peanut butter on the bottom of the bun. So it's a hamburger with peanut butter on it. And most people, when I tell them about this, they go, ooh, that sounds disgusting. But that's exactly the reaction you really want. You want some kind of an emotion with a signature item that, uh, that somebody's going to hear it and either be excited about it or disgusted with it or something. But it doesn't really matter, you know, as I pointed out to them, it doesn't really matter how many of these you ever sell. Because what happens is suddenly people have in their head, oh, there's this restaurant in Indiana, Lafayette, Indiana, that has puts peanut butter on their hamburgers. Doesn't that sound disgusting? And they tell their friends about it, and they're intrigued by it, and they're thinking, I wonder if this is going to be any good if I end up going there. So what ends up happening is it's like the slap upside the head get, that gets a consumer to take notice, and the media, too, when they're trying to find something about a restaurant that's unique to write about, they always will go immediately for the signature item. They'll always immediately write about the signature item. So this this item has been featured in now uh, USA Today, and it's been featured in CNN.com, and it's been featured in uh, Business Week. And uh, but the most famous place it was this this product was featured was on Diners, Drive-ins, and Dives on the Food Network, where this business was highlighted with Guy Fieri, who came and came to their business and and, and showed it. And of course, when he's there. When he's there with his television cameras rolling, what does he absolutely have to bite into is the peanut butter hamburger. So, the, uh, the uh, what happened as soon as you get you get a publicity experience like that, this business, for example, their sales immediately went up forty five percent and never stopped. Um, uh, and so it, that's an example of they they didn't change what they were doing; they just magnified a, a, a piece of it. That got, that got media and consumers media and to start paying more attention. Now, once they, a consumer comes in, you still have to deliver. You have to deliver with great service. You still have to have great product, great food, all, all the things that go along with bringing a consumer back. But you've got to do something to really first snap the attention of that customer. But that's just one technique you can use in that step six of product spotlighting. So, Bill, this causes me to want to ask John just one question. Yeah, what is that? Did you try it? Oh, yeah, really. How, how does it taste, John? Would you recommend Yeah, it's it kind of disgusting. <laughs> well, I mean, so well, your idea wasn't like talking to something else. 
No, but I will tell you, they Indiana in Indianapolis this year, they did the Super Bowl. They had the Super Bowl, and it was the 46th showing of the Super Bowl. And the this is actually named after now a Purdue football player that liked peanut butter. It's called the Dwayne Purvis Burger. The state of Indiana and the state of Indiana's tourism board had a contest for the 46 top sandwiches in the state. And um, the Dwayne Purvis Burger got nominated as one of those 46 sandwiches. And, it, and then people voted on them. So it started with 46, then went to 23, and it kept getting voted down until they got to the the final winning sandwich, with them, which then got shown on television at the halftime at, su- at the Super Bowl. But the the Dwayne Purvis peanut butter hamburger got to number the final four. They were the, one of the final. Wow, final four for being the hamburger. So that that now that I guess that's probably appropriate to be a final four, a basketball phrase for being in the state of Indiana. Well, you know, perception is reality, guys. And, uh, you know, the question I, have, I want to ask you, John, is uh, basically what you're saying is one of the main thrusts of, of what you we teach retailers is that you need to determine what their, what I call unique selling proposition is, what's that thing that differentiates them from the, from the competition. But I want to ask you a question. That thing, once again, just like the size of a store destination, doesn't have to be anything earth-shattering. It can be just one little thing that they do incredibly well. And maybe it's something that other people do but aren't promoting it. Do you agree with that? Am I on the right track or no? Did we lose John on our connection? Hello? I'm Stuart. Bill, I I'm back, cool. guys. Oh, okay. He's back. Okay. Let's, Bill, why don't you run that question? And we'll let that be our last question of John before we open up to the audience. Ask that back of uh, John one, yeah, one more I'll, time. I'll make it quick. I was just saying, you know, you're, you're, you're one of the, your tenants is you're, you're asking retailers to look for their unique selling proposition, that thing that, that helps differentiate them from the rest of the pack. And I was just asking, that thing doesn't necessarily have to be something earth-shattering. Like, you don't have to be open for Christmas 365 days a year. And it, it, it can be something small, and it can actually be something that somebody else is doing, but are hiding their light under a bushel, right? Yeah, and, and in fact, what we call it is, is not the unique selling proposition. Like, uh, we, what we call it is your, your unique positioning. How, do you, how is your business different from every other competitor in your entire industry? And so when we force an owner to think about how they're different from everybody who does anything like what they do, um, it can be, as you say, something they're already doing that they're just not telling the story real well, or as you say, it's kind of under the bushel. Right, so it doesn't have to be anything earth-shattering. It can just be a strength, you know, to like if you do a strength, weakness, opportunity, and threat analysis. I call it SWOT. But okay, I just I just wanted to ask. Cool. Okay, so let, let's do this one. Let me tell everyone who is listening with us tonight uh, at this point. If you would like to ask John questions for the time that we have left, star six will unmute your line. Star six, join in us. And um, as we get ready for any questions we have, let me explain to everyone that uh, in addition to Bill Kendi, my uh, my sidekick and friend who's always kind enough, gracious to join me as a, a co-host of this, that our special guest tonight was John Shallert. And John is the president of uh, the Shallert Group out of Longmont, Colorado. Uh, John is a speaker who's 
unique business aspect is how to make your business a destination to make your business stand out. John has created a, a thing called the Destination Boot Camp. Let me invite you to go online. You can go to John Showart, and he spells his name J-O-N-S-C-H-A-L-L-E-R-T, johnshallert.com. You can also go to destinationuniversity.com. And lastly, you can go to destinationbootcamp.com, where John does, am I right, John, three camps a year? Correct, Tom. Okay, three times a year that uh, people come out and join him, and I, I've been following it, know that at times uh, communities will get together and the community will send a half dozen people through something such as their chamber, their Main Street program to go out and be a part of it. Uh, a very unique concept, 14 steps that uh, between these strategies, of which there are eight, and six tactical steps to get it achieved, John has created uh, what they at Hallmark called the Shallard Method for creating your business to become a destination. So those of you who are participating, if anyone would like to ask a, a question of John, please feel free to jump right in and ask my buddy John about your business. John, we are, we are usually a very quiet crowd. They, uh, there are attentive students who uh, who sit quietly, listen, and uh, take notes, and uh, sometimes Hello? send send Hello? little notes backwards to backward to us. Um, uh, I would very much encourage everyone to visit John's website and, and look at his program that he's got there. A very unique one, and uh, yes, you'll see people like myself on there as. Uh, the, John has very wisely invited a lot of people out in the business world to come and uh, share their pieces out to help create a, a complete pie for you. And the so, nice question. thing about it is John will not mind if you call him Johnny. <laughs> and you guys asked, it's just John, J-O-N, and that's all they named me. I don't know why my mom did it, but I didn't have a chance to object. So. No. Well, I think that sounds fine. We're fine with that. Okay, last call for questions from anybody. Come on, folks. Don't be can, shy. Come on. We don't hello. Hard. Can John tell us about a uh, a town that he has worked with? Sure. Yeah. Um, the, the most recent community that came out to uh, Colorado as a group was South Bend, Indiana. They sent seven business owners plus a community coordinator, but... We, I think we've had like 46 different cities now bring people out to our boot camp, including there's one small county in Kansas called Phillips County, Kansas. 7,000 people in the whole county, 2,400 people in their largest town. And they've actually sent out a group of seven people for the last three years, and they've got one more year. They committed to a four-year process uh, of sending these business owners to our boot camp. And what's happened is they actually... Have, are able to measure that by these business owners being better, their county has had a 25% increase in their sales tax revenue because they're pulling consumers from outside the county, outside the county. Um, uh, and spending, and in, their, spending in, their, in their county. In their county. So, it's, it, so it's, it's a neat it's thing, a but neat if you go to destinationuniversity.com and download some of the articles, you can see all the different communities around the country that have come. So you can move to... Uh to the state and be, run for a county commissioner now, couldn't you, John? I told him I wanted my picture on the on the, uh, the uh, water tower. Water tower. 
Fair enough. I, I Anybody else have a question for John tonight? Okay, well, you can follow up with John. We're thrilled that he can join us tonight. Appreciate him being with us. This is the June edition of the E-Retailer Conversation Conference Call with Bill Kendi, my guest, John Schaller from Longmont, Colorado, and the Destination University. And this is Tom Shea saying thanks to all of you for taking the time to join us. Your E-Retailer newsletter will be out on July 1st, and we're going to be back for the July E-Retailer Conversation Call. It'll be Thursday night, July 26th, and I believe our uh, special guest for the evening is going to be Dave Doucette. Those of you in the automotive industry will know Dave. He's been a magazine editor, uh, put together several trade shows, but Dave Doucette is scheduled to be our, get, our special guest. John, you there, my friend? Thanks, Don. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming and joining. I greatly appreciate you taking your time from your work uh, to come and be a part of it. Tell your wife, Peg, we appreciate getting your evening away, and uh, thanks to all the retailers who would take the time and come and be with us. This is Tom Shea saying, good night, everybody. Thanks for having been with us. Thanks again, Tom. Bye-bye.